Hello and welcome to the Christ Fellowship Weekly Podcast. At Christ Fellowship, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and His purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on Sunday morning, please visit ChristFellowship.org. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Morning. So back in 1994, there was a small budget film that did modestly well in the theaters. And it was kind of a coming-of-age tale meets Hamlet. And some of you may vaguely remember it. It was called The Lion King. And in The Lion King, Disney uses their classic formula of killing off the main character's parent. So we have Simba's in trouble, and Mufasa, the king lion, comes in to save him. And he falls from the cliff and gets trampled by the stampede. And right after this happens, we get a close-up of Simba's face as the realization starts to sink in that my father is dead, and a big part of what led to this tragic chain of events was my own willful disobedience. And so what does Simba do? He flees in shame. He runs off to live a different life. And it's not some evil life. He's not out selling drugs to the antelope or anything like that. He's got a couple of friends, the whole Hakuna Matata thing going on, but it's not the life that he was called to. It's not the life he was meant to live. And miles away, there's a world that desperately needs him to engage. Where his eyes used to be focused on things of the kingdom, now his eyes are focused on entertainment and distraction and hiding from his shame. And isn't that just the very nature of sin? From the very beginning, when sin enters our lives, we close ourselves off from God and we close ourselves off from other people. Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit from the tree And what do they immediately do? They hide from God. And when they should have been one, as they were meant to be, they start blaming each other for what happened. And over time, it becomes less and less about what I did, and it starts to become who I am. We convince that we are defined by our failure, that we are defined by our sin. And it starts over the years, it takes a toll on our hearts. It takes its toll in the form of stunted emotional growth of insensitivity to the feelings of others, patterns of dishonesty and deception, withering of close friendships, of years of spiritual indifference. And in our heads, we tell ourselves, I am wicked, I am weak, I am a failure. And our pain and our shame, they want to keep us right there. I got some news for you this morning. That was not the life you were meant to live. That is not the life you are called to. And there is a world out there that desperately needs you to engage. So this morning, we're going to talk about gentleness as we continue the series of The Beautiful Exchange. And we're going to look at the merciful gentleness of the Father. And the main thing this morning is that when you experience it, when you experience the gentle mercy of the Father, it's going to impact your identity and it's going to change the way you interact with the world. All right, y'all with me? Okay, so... Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 21, and this is where we're going to camp out for most of the morning. So, chapter 21, verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the other two disciples. And Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out to the boat but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. 
So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. So parents all have different styles or methods of disciplining. My mother, for example, preferred the ancient art of death by lecture, where my dad had a completely different stratagem. I remember one time I did something that was so terrible. He turned, he grabbed a ruler and a pencil and headed to the garage where he found a one-by-four and a jigsaw, and he crafted a refined instrument of posterior adjustment and came in and was still upset enough to use it on me. So those are a couple of the methods that I learned growing up. But when Summer and I began down the path towards adoption, we went through a training where they taught us the TBRI method of, of disciplining. TBR stands for Trust-Based Relational Intervention. And the TBRI method was developed by Drs. Karen Purvis and David Cross at TCU after years of research into child development, child psychology, and attachment. And I'm going to give you an oversimplified kind of flyover of what that kind of looks like. So let's say little Johnny's walking across the stage, and when he gets over here, he kicks over Aaron's guitar. I'm going to come over to him immediately, and I'm going to get on his level. I'm going to get two eyes and two hands. And by doing this, I'm creating connection, and I'm engaging multiple senses. He can see me. He can hear me. He can feel me. I'm close enough he can smell me. But we've got a safe distance because our hands are in front of us. He feels safe. He feels secure. And I'm going to talk to him about what happened. I'm going to talk to him about what the expectation is. And then once we've finished our conversation, I'm going to give him a redo. I'm going to take him back to the exact same point of his transgression, and he's going to walk through it again, and he's going to show the desired behavior this time. And when he does, I'm going to affirm him for this. And they say that when you go through this method, the result is stronger attachment and stronger felt safety on the part of the child. So just take that and put it in your hip pocket for later. We're going to come back to it. So the passage we just read The passage from John 21 takes place after a big failure on the part of Peter. If you remember when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, he told them, somebody is going to betray me. And Peter, with great bravado, said, not me, Lord. Even all the rest of these losers turn on you. I am with you even to the point of death. And Jesus looks at him and says, I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And sure enough, they get to the garden 
Jesus is arrested. After a failed attempt at swordsmanship, Peter follows him to the temple courtyard. (laughs) And there he's warming himself, and somebody goes, hey, weren't you with that Jesus guy? He says, no, I I don't know him. And a second time, Hey, your accent, you sound like one of those people who were with Jesus. No, no, I don't, I don't know the guy. Then a third time, hey, weren't you with Jesus in the olive grove? And Peter loses it. Jamie gives the rass and frass, and he goes nuts, cursing, saying, I do not know this Jesus guy. And then at that point, the rooster crows, and in Luke's account, it says that Jesus turns and looks at Peter. And Peter weeps, and he flees in shame. And so we get to John chapter 21, and Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. And I think this is more than just Peter trying to find a way to pass the time. I think this is Peter's way of saying, you know, for a minute there, I thought there was a greater calling on my life. How stupid was that? I clearly was not cut out for that. So let me go back to what I know. Let me go back to what I did before. And so they go out and they fish all night, and they catch absolutely nothing, which I'm sure adds insult to injury to Peter, thinking, I can't even do this anymore. And as they're tired and they're rowing into shore, somebody calls out for the shoreline. In some translations, it says he calls them little children, which I'm sure made them really happy after fishing all night. But it says, little children, didn't you catch any fish? They reply, no. And the man says, cast your nets on the other side, and you'll catch fish. And they immediately catch so many fish that they can't pull the net in. Now, you may be thinking, I think I've heard this story before, and maybe you have. Maybe you've heard this story from John 21, or maybe, maybe you've heard a story from Luke 5 where Jesus does the exact same miracle. Now, before we start bagging on Jesus for lack of creativity, let's think about the context in which that miracle takes place. It's from when he called Peter. He told Peter to cast the nets on the other side, too many fish to pull in, and Peter drops to his knees and says, get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinner. And he raises him up, and he says, do not be afraid. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. It's the moment that Jesus called Peter into relationship. So that's why when John 21, John looks and says, Peter, it's the Lord. He looks straight at him. He said, he's doing your miracle. This isn't Matthew's tax booth. This isn't Nathaniel's fig tree. He's doing your fish thing. And Peter reacts the way that I hope all of us would react, he goes full Forrest Gump and jumps off the boat and starts taking off ashore because he is joyfully reassured that he still loves me. He still loves me. And there are so many of us who have a hard time that G- believing that God loves us, let alone likes us. But he does. Not after you've cleaned up your mess and developed a disciplined prayer life, and spent 10 years on the mission field, right now, right here in this moment, he loves you. And your failure and your sin, they do not negate that love. The problem is we've got this little voice that likes to talk to us in the back of our head. Y'all know that little voice? And it likes to tell us things like, you are weak. You are a failure. You're still struggling with that? Are you kidding me? What is wrong with you? You are so much less than. And for some reason, we want to ascribe that voice to God. That voice is not God. And if you need proof of that, just look at the scripture. If that accusatory voice in our head were God, then Jesus' reaction to Peter would have been completely different. 
his reaction would have been like, what's that guy doing here? Hasn't he already shown his stripes? At the best he could expect, it's a cold shoulder or a do you have something to say for yourself when he gets to shore. Instead, Jesus had told them, tell the disciples and Peter to meet me in Galilee. He specifically calls out Peter because he knows what's going on in Peter's head. He knows if he just says, tell the disciples to meet me in Galilee, Peter's probably going to say, that doesn't include me anymore. So he specifically calls him out. And when he gets to shore, he invites him to sit down and have breakfast with him. And we don't just have to look at this passage. Look at the story from um, John chapter 8 with the adulterous woman. And she's dragged out in the midst of her shame. And Jesus looks at her. And do you know what's noticeably absent from that conversation? He doesn't ask her, are you sorry for what you did? He looks at her and says, neither do I accuse you. Now go and sin no more. In either situation, or in your situation today, Jesus doesn't come with disdain. He doesn't come with harsh rebuke. He doesn't come with demands of apology. Instead, he meets us with gentleness. He meets us with tenderness. He meets us with mercy. And when we can grasp that is when we get to exchange our feelings about ourselves for what Jesus thinks about us. We get to exchange failure for beloved. We get to exchange disappointment for child of God. We get to exchange hopeless for redeemed. It exchanges, I am weak to you are a rock. Now let me stop for a moment and address a couple fallacies I don't want us to trip into. Yes, God meets us with mercy. He meets us with gentleness, but that by no means minimizes the weight of our sin. All sin separates us from God. Habakkuk 1 says that his eyes are so pure he cannot look upon evil, that he cannot tolerate wrong. Romans 6 tells us that the wages of sin are death. The sin in each and every one of our lives, from the widest of lies to the most heinous crime, earns us a death sentence. It cannot be laughed off. It cannot be ignored. It has to be dealt with. But the good news is, the gospel is, between Peter's denial and when he gets on that boat, that is exactly what happened. Our sin was dealt with when Jesus, God made flesh, took it with him to the cross. The wages of sin were paid when he took all of our sin, past, present, and future, and he buried it with him. And three days later, life sprang forth. It sprang forth in the person of Jesus, and it sprang forth for all of us. Yes, there is grace for each and every one of you. There is mercy for all of us, but it was not cheap. It was dearly paid for, and it should not be taken for granted. Secondly, gentleness should not be confused with weakness. As a matter of fact, there are times when gentleness can hurt. I'm going to pick on Lloyd on his birthday. So if my friend Lloyd came to me and he said, Jason, you know, I think I'm going to leave my wife and kids because I'm seeing this other woman, and I think God just really wants me to be happy. My reaction to him is not going to be, oh, well... I guess if it makes you happy, that's okay. And neither am I going to avoid confronting his sin and attempt to be more gentle. My response to him is going to be, no, what are you thinking, Lloyd? My reaction to him is going to be one of rebuke and painful truth, because in that situation, that is the most gentle response. Because if he continues down the path he is headed on, where it leads, there is so much carnage and destruction, not just in his life, but in the wife's life of his wife and of his children. So I'm going to hurt him with my words. I'm going to speak hurtful truth to him. And it's not the 
wild, impulsive, vindictive hurt of a guy wielding a pair of machetes. It's, a guy, it's the hurt of a surgeon. It's the wound of a surgeon saying that this thing inside of you, if it's left unchecked, it is going to lead to unimaginable pain. This thing inside you is going to lead to death. And so I'm going to wound you. I'm going to hurt you in this moment because I love you, and that is the most gentle response. And I think that we see that in the life of Jesus. When people come to him and they are humble and they are bruised, Jesus comes tender. Jesus comes soft because that is the most loving and gentle response. But when Jesus encounters people who are heading down the path of prideful destruction, not caring about who gets hurt in the wake, Jesus brings the heat because that is the most loving and gentle response. Y'all with me? Okay. So, that being so, let's get back to Peter. So Jesus first comes with gentleness towards Peter, but he doesn't mean, it doesn't mean Peter's failures are ignored because we'll see that the call to relationship is not the only thing that Jesus recreates. So Peter gets off the boat and says that Jesus is cooking fish by a charcoal fire. Now, fire is not unusual in the Bible. We got burning bushes, chariots of fire, altars of fire, pillars of fire, fiery furnaces. But this particular type of fire, a charcoal fire, is only seen twice in the entire Bible. We see the one right here in John chapter 21. And we see the one two chapters before in the temple courtyard that Peter is warming himself by when he denies Jesus. And so they finish breakfast, and Jesus looks over at him. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. And feed my sheep. A second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? You know that I love you, Lord. Take care of my sheep. A third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And feed my sheep. Now, do y'all see what Jesus just did there? First, he created connection and safety for Peter, and then he gave him a redo. Do y'all see that? It's the TPRI method, the method that 2,000 years later, we in our infinite wisdom determine creates attachment and safety and promotes healing in the lives for those who've been through trauma. Jesus is using it on Peter. He says, and when he after he gives him the redo, he doesn't look to the past. He doesn't look to his sin. He looks to the future. He says, feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Follow me. He says, there is a world out there that feels defenseless, Peter, and they desperately need you to engage. Take care of them. Feed them. Peter, there is still a calling on your life. And folks, that's the next step for us because receiving mercy is inseparable from showing mercy. My boss at work has a saying. He says, it's not a mistake if you learn from it. And it's not a perfect analogy, because like I said before, we don't want to minimize sin. But the point of it is, yes, there was a failure, but make sure it was worthwhile. And our failure can be redeemed. Our failure can be made worthwhile if it teaches us to be gentle with the failure of others. To be patient, to live in the wisdom of accepted tenderness and pass it on to others. Because if we don't recognize our failure and the fierce gentleness with which God responds to us, it starts to do weird things in our head. It starts to change the way that we view God and the way that we view other people. And instead of approaching God with awe and wonder, 
we approach him with a never-ending to-do list, like he's some cosmic Santa Claus, and we think that our prayers and devotions and our tithes entitle us to an immediate divine response. If we forget the gentleness with which we've been treated, we become callous to the plight of others. We become impatient with other people's failures. We become like the wicked servant from the parable in Matthew, who right after he's forgiven a massive debt, deals harshly with a fellow servant who owes him infinitely less. But when we realize the gift that we've given, that we've been given, the more we realize that everything is a gift from the Father's hand, the more our life becomes one of humble, joyful thanksgiving. As Thomas Merton put it, a saint is not someone who is good, but someone who experiences the goodness of God. And it's not about trying harder. It's something that God is doing in us because of what Jesus did for us. When your reality becomes, I am a recipient of the gentle mercies of Jesus, it becomes easier to love each other just as he loved us. When we realize that despite our bootstrap mentality, we make the same mistakes over and over and over again, and the Father meets us with gentleness, it should change the way you interact with your children. When you realize that I put my own wants and desires above what he has asked me to do, and he still loves me unconditionally, it should change the way that we interact with our spouses. Whenever we realize that despite our failures, he hasn't written us off, that he still has a calling on our life, it should change the way we forgive those who have hurt us. When we realize that everything we have is a gift from his hand, it should change the way we view the poor and the refugee. When we realize that when we were hopeless, when we were lost, he brought us into his family and adopted us as sons and daughters, it should change the way we view the orphan. Now, some of you are going to argue and you say, if I adopt a posture of gentleness, if I open myself up this way, then people are going to take advantage of me. People are going to try to run all over me. If I open myself up this way, I could be rejected, I could be hurt. And you know what? You are absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Kim, I appreciate how you've shared the story with us of your journey with your father. And it's a beautiful testimony of reconciliation because you chose to show Jesus in your life. But I bet there's other people in this room who have tried to be a peacemaker in the midst of a painful family situation, who have tried to seek healing, who have tried to seek reconciliation, and there hasn't been a happy ending. I bet there are people here who have opened up your hearts and your hands, and it's been rejected, you've been taken advantage of, and that hurts. Towards the end of last year, my family met this girl who went to my kid's school, and the um, CPS had been involved with her family for several years, and she'd been in uh, foster care for several months, and the prospects of her going back to her family were slim to none. And so after a lot of prayer, we began feeling called that we should pursue her. And so we did. We contacted her CPS worker and started going down the path of a foster-to-adopt situation. And we had a home study, we went through a weekend-long training, we did lots of paperwork, and we engaged our friends and family to do references for us, and we, and we spent a lot of time with her. And we had permission for her to come over to our house and to stay the night with us, and so she was spending most of her weeks, weekends with us. And any kids in the foster care system has been through trauma, or else they, they wouldn't be there. And she was no different. There were some significant behavioral challenges with her. But 
we were all in, and we loved on her as a family and feel like she loved us too. And our message to her over and over again was, we love you, and if things don't go the way you want them to with your family, you are welcome here. And it went on like this for several months until we had a meeting scheduled between us, the CPS worker, the CASA rep, and the leaders from the group home that she was living in to discuss the transition plan for her to move into our house full time. And we get there to the meeting, and we sit down, and one of the leaders from the house says, before we start, I think you guys should read this, and hands us two letters. And in the letters, the girl is basically saying, I love you guys, but I've decided that I don't want to live with you. Um, that I need some time and space, that eventually I may want to come spend some time with you guys, but I just, I really don't want to come live with you guys. And that felt kind of like a punch to the gut, to be honest. But we said, okay, we get it, she's going through a lot, um, just give us a call whenever she's ready to spend some time with us again. And while there have been a couple small interactions since then, the bottom line is the phone hasn't rung. And rejection hurts. No matter who you are, rejection hurts. And you start asking yourself, why did I go through all of this? Why did I put myself through all of this? Why did I put my family through this if this was going to be the result? What was the point of this? But I truly believe that when it comes to kingdom work, we have to have a broader view than what our eyes can see. We have to have a view beyond what our expected result is. Maybe it'll be in her life. Maybe six months from now, six years from now, six decades from now, she will look back at her time with our family and she will see Jesus there. I hope so. But you notice when Peter said he was going fishing, the other disciples said, I'm going to go with you. We like to think that our choices only impact us, but none of us lives in a vacuum. We all have influence. And so when we show the heart of Jesus, other people are watching. Maybe it's my kids. Maybe they'll grow up and say, you know, despite my parents' faults, they did their best to be faithful to what God called them to do. Maybe it's somebody I'll never meet. Maybe somebody will hear this message and something about our story will cause the kingdom to break out in our life, their life. But even more so than that, when we show the heart of Jesus, we become more like Jesus. And isn't that what we're all after? One of my constant prayers is God, today, make me more like Jesus than I was yesterday. And tomorrow, make me more like Jesus than I was today. And if that's all that came from it, is that I was faithful to Jesus and became more like him, then I can say it is good. The worship team and ministry team, go ahead and come forward. So there may be some of you who have been hiding from God for a long time. You've been hiding in the wilderness in your shame, and we invite you this morning. You are, he is merciful. His arms are open to you. Maybe there's some of you this morning who have been the wicked servant, who have not recognized the gentleness with which you've been treated, and you haven't been gentle to those around you. And maybe there's some of us this morning that are bruised, that are feeling broken, that have been through something painful. If any of those are your situation, or if you need prayer for any other reason, we've got people up front, we would love to pray with you. We would love to pray over you. We would love to model the mercy of Jesus for you.